Well, I want to thank Pastor Emilio for move, moving back. It's kind of hard to preach where he's sitting right there looking at you like, what you going to say? So thank you, Pastor, for moving back. Um, I, I, I just want to say before this message that this was a trying, trying week for me. And this message, as I was studying it, was, was encouraging. So if I get kind of teared up or well up or if I got to turn around for a second, I apologize. But this message comes home for me. Um, we're going to read our text and then we're going to pray. In Colossians 1, verses 13 through 17, the Bible says this, For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Join me in a word of prayer. Our great Father, we just thank you for this moment in time, Lord, that uh, we could be here. Lord, I just... Thank you for these people. Lord, I thank you for the time I was in preparation. Lord, we just ask that uh, you would bless me, bless the hearers, and Lord, that we would have a, a great interchange with your scriptures. Lord, that we would be changed, conformed more into the image of your son. Lord, we're just asking this in Jesus' precious and holy name. And all God's people said, amen. The, the question that I have is, what are you to do when faced with error? How deeply, how deeply does your hatred of false teaching, how, how far does it go down in your hearts? See, one of the errors that was facing the people in Colossae was the mistaken idea that there was something wrong with Jesus. While the people, were, the people that were in error in Colossae, they mixed um, religions, Judaistic legalism, and Hellenistic cult practices. They evidently, they didn't deny Christ outright. See, everybody, everybody wants Jesus on their side, right? But see, there's a problem, and that in their subtlety, uh, that it's evident that they had a bit of syncretism, and that is their joining together of various uh, and different religious systems. It was a, a syncretism of Jewish, Gentile, and Christian features that diminished the all-sufficiency of Christ's salvation and his personal preeminence. The, the error that Paul is addressing here is centered on the repudiation of the person and the redemptive work of Christ. It was through their misplaced fascination with the worship of angels um, that these false teachers most importantly denied the deity of Christ. They placed a high premium on um, intellect and adherence to strict legal laws and rules, and therefore they denied the effective or the effectual nature of the substitutionary atonement. They reduced Christ to a creature, and he was a, a high and exalted creature, but he was a creature nonetheless. They said that Jesus is like God, but not that he was God. Paul is going to speak to this issue here in the text. He's going to demolish the false ideas. And to do that, Paul will exalt the Lord and make the issue Christ over all. Think with me today on the topic of Christ over all. 
The first admonition that the text is going to tell us is that Jesus is the sovereign in salvation of men's souls. Let's take a look at the text. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Our portion of scripture starts off here with the the word for. This is linked to what has come before. Paul has stated that he and his companions were praying that the Colossians would walk worthy of the Lord as we covered before. That is, they would live out this Christian life and that in doing so, they would joyously give thanks to the Father who has qualified them to share in the inheritance with the saints in light. And that light being the spiritual sphere in which the Colossians had been rescued. Being rescued is an important theme in the Old Testament, as we can see in Exodus uh, 14, verses 30, and Judges 6, 9. But in the New Testament, this theme is picked up in passages such as Luke eleven four and in Matthew 6, 13. See, you remember Matthew 6, 13. That's where Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray. And he says, pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Amen. The Colossians had been rescued or saved. You could even say that they had been delivered from the domain of darkness. Well, see, what is this domain? Where, what is this darkness signifying? In this context, I believe that this darkness is clearly the realm of Satan and his emissaries. It was through Jewish writings um, at, at this time that this kingdom, that there was a kingdom of, of darkness and there was a kingdom and a domain of light. In the writings that they found at Qumran, uh, they found numerous references to this light and this dark motif as they were reading those Qumran manuscripts. Satan inhabits darkness, and what he wants most is to drag all men, all women, down into this arena, uh, away from the light that that they have by coming into a saving relationship with the God of their creation. We have to remember, what is Satan often called? He is the prince of darkness. The Bible says in Ephesians 5 verses 6 through 10, let no one deceive you with empty words for because of these things the wrath of God has come upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them for you were formerly darkness but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light for the fruit of light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. And later in the same book, uh, Paul goes on to say, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against wicked forces of this dark age against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Brothers and sisters, we were captives. We were slaves to the system that this world has. We were bound up and partners with Satan. 
and Satan has inhabited this realm of darkness for centuries, but God has delivered us out of that realm, that kingdom, that domain of darkness, and he has placed us in the kingdom of literally the son that he loves. It is the son who is the blessed object of that agape love that God the Father has. This love is the love that sent the son. It's this love that kept the son on the cross. It is this love that moved the father to declare that son uh, righteous when that sacrifice was poured out. It's this love that sacrificed the son of his love. Since we have been transferred out of this darkness and we now live and move in light, let us act like it. In the words of Paul, let us walk in the light day by day by day. Why would God do this? What would compel God to do this for us? The Bible says, oh, the depths of both the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. See, it was only God's love that caused him to do this. And how do we know this? The Bible says, this is my commandment that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Greater love no one has than this, that one would lay down his life for his brothers. Look at the next clause in our text. It says, in whom, that is the son, we have redemption. That is the forgiveness of our sins. The apostle tells the Colossians and us that we are free from the bondage of sin. We are no longer captive to what Satan had us bound in. The last clause here is a a, a restatement of this redemption that we have in Ephesians uh, in a parallel passage. The Bible says in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespass according to the riches of his grace that he has lavished on us. See, some manuscripts in Colossians will add that in his blood here. But whether we see the blood in this passage or we don't see the blood in this passage, the point is made. We have redemption. And that is the payment. We have been ransomed back. God has bought us back and paid our price through Jesus Christ. Our sins have been wiped away. We are clean due to the cross work of Jesus Christ. He has paid our debts and made us to walk as children in the light. In writing to Titus, Paul said this, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing in the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good works. It is in the deeds, it is in the son, excuse me, of his love that we are in the kingdom and delivered from the domain of spiritual darkness and death. We still need, we still seek, we still have that humbling but most precious and purifying gift, the forgiveness of our sins. And it, like everything else, everything that we have is found in Christ Jesus. And it is these words about redemption and forgiveness of sin that Paul will shift now. See, he's told us that we've got redemption, we've got salvation, and he's going to shift into this majestic hymn about the lordship of Christ, the Son of God. See, the the question that was running around in Colossae was, who is this son? Is he an angel? Is he uh, this? Is he that? 
Who is it that the Father has loved so much that he would do such a thing, that he would do this for us? Is he just a mere man? Is Jesus just a mere man or is Jesus something more? Brothers and sisters, we are about to enter a passage that speaks of Jesus in the highest, most exalted terms you can find. One man said, there is no higher Christology in all of the New Testament than this passage that we're going to talk about. The second admonition that Paul gives us is that Jesus, Jesus is sovereign in creation. The text says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, both in heavens and on, the, on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominion, rulers, or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. See, that he is in that verse is actually more literally, literally translated who is. That's a, a relative pronoun that relates back to what was just said. Well, who is he? Who is that? He is the image of the invisible God. The Son is the image of the invisible God. There's no conjunction here. There are no words that let us know that this is coming. It just launches into this praise of Jesus Christ. It's a lack of transition here that, that leads many scholars to believe, and I kind of I agree with them, that Paul here, is, if, if he's not quoting an ancient Christian hymn, he is referring to an ancient Christian hymn. In the very first centuries after Christ, see, don't let anybody tell you that the, the worship of Jesus as God came along years and centuries later. No, in the very first centuries after Christ, while Christ was still um, fresh in the minds of the apostles, they were worshiping, worshiping him as God. Christ is the image or icon in Greek of God. Jesus is the, the likeness. Jesus is the representation. Jesus is the manifestation of the Father. See, Pastor Emilio preached this passage uh, uh, not too long ago in 2 Corinthians 4, 4. It says this, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world, that Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And Hebrews states the same thing. It says that Jesus is the exact representation of his nature, of God's nature. Hebrews says this, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world. There's Jesus as the creator, and he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. That is who Jesus is. Jesus is God. When we read Paul, we see his understanding that God the Father is invisible. But Jesus Christ makes all of God known to us that we need to know. In just a few passages after that passage in 2 Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, Paul says this. For God said, let the light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. See, while we were created in the image of God, Jesus is God. And when he became a man and walked around Israel, he was the image of God in human form. 
The Son is God revealed in the flesh. John 18 says this, and I, I think the, 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 the strongest uh, version that translates this passage is the NRSV. Uh, it says, no one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. That's Jesus. These words, has made him known or explained him, that's the word exegesito, which means that the Son is the one who fully explains the Father to us. Brothers, sisters, I'm glad that Jesus came and explained God to us, that we were not stuck in the Old Testament law trying to fulfill Old Testament laws, but Jesus came and he has fulfilled and has promised and has given us the new covenant in his blood. I'm glad that Jesus claimed that he came I'm glad that he left a written record of what he was like. I am glad that he left this record of his comings and his goings, of his ins and his outs. And now we have this book that we can study and know the words and we can know the God that we worship. Later in the same book, Paul will tell the Colossians that, that in him, that's Jesus, in him all the fullness of deity dwells. Everything that makes God, God, dwells in Jesus Christ. No, 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 I say the one who came to save us is no mere man. He is God. But not only is Jesus the image of the invisible God, he is also the prototokos, the firstborn of all creation. As O'Brien, Peter O'Brien says in his commentary, if image emphasizes Christ's relation to God, then the second title, firstborn of all creation, designates his relationship to creation. See, some of our friends like Jehovah's Witnesses and others that uh, deny the true deity of Christ uh, wrongly interpret this passage. They'll, this passage. they'll point to the, to the English word firstborn and they'll say, see, Jesus is the first thing that God ever created. Wrong. That's error. That's blasphemy. If, it was that, if that was what Paul was trying to say, he would have used another word altogether, prototesis. But that's not in the Bible. When you go to the Old Testament, we can see what Paul meant by uh, firstborn. Abraham, uh, 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 Isaac was called Abraham's firstborn son, even though he was not the firstborn in time, Ishmael was. But it's Isaac who is the one of the promise, who was given the blessing. It is Isaac in whom uh, the, the promise of God carried on. Even Israel is called the firstborn son of God in, in Exodus 4.2. Was Israel in the first century uh, the, the first country ever created? No, not in the sense of being first in time, but Israel was the first in God's eyes. See, one commentator said this about what the firstborn is among the, the creatures of God over all his creation, occupying the rank and preeminence of the firstborn, the firstborn or oldest son among whom the, the Hebrews had privileges. He was entitled to a double portion of the inheritance. That's, that's the image that Paul is trying to give us. He, so as we move to a direct application of this title, we see that God has set David as his firstborn. He says, I shall set uh, also set his hand on the sea and his right hand on the rivers. He will cry to me, you are my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation, and I will make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. God was saying that David was his preeminent one. 
and that, uh, that he is of the highest order. He has the highest p- uh, position. And this title, this, this title here belongs to Christ because he is a descendant of David and the one who reigns as king, not only over Israel, not only over the Middle East, not only over the whole earth. Jesus Christ reigns as king over the entire universe. This is a foreshadowing of what Paul will later say in the very same context. In verse 18, he says, he, Christ Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. The church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will have come to have first place in everything. I like the way the ESV translates this passage here. It says, in everything he might be preeminent. Or the way the NIV says it, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. I think that those translate the Greek slightly better than our NASB, but the point is made, and it's the driving point of this section. This hymn to Christ here is telling us that the Colossians is Jesus. He is the supreme one, anyone or anything. He is above anything else. That same eternal logos, that son that was with the Father in the beginning and who became flesh, has humbled himself. And this son is now exalted by the Father to the highest places. And he has been given a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus Christ, we will say that he is Lord. He is Yahweh to the glory of the Father. And the text says so. The prototokos, the firstborn one, is, as expressed here in this title, is Christ being distinguished from everything else in creation. He is both prior to and he is supreme over all creation. Since he is the Lord. This statement that Jesus is the image and firstborn is now given fuller treatment by Paul as he explains what he meant. He says, for by him all things were created, both in heaven and on the earth, things that are visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. See, in verses 16 and 17, we get a glimpse of what Paul uh, meant when he said that Christ was the firstborn of all creation. It is, it is because of Christ, the text reads, by him, that is, ta uh, panta, all things are created. And guess what? I looked it up. Here, all means, guess what? All. Everything you see, everything you see around you was created by Jesus Christ. Remember back in Sunday school a few weeks ago when we talked about Genesis 1-1? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That is a Hebraism. That's just a Hebrew term that means God created everything you can see. And, and all that uh, Paul is doing here, all that, 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 that Moses had said, Paul is saying now here in the New Testament, Moses had expressed exactly what Paul meant. In the New Testament, Jesus is called God, the creator of all things, over and over and over again by explicit statement and by implicit one. John, in the first chapter, we all know the text. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. But then it says in verse 3, All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing has come into being that has come into being. 
And look at Hebrews chapter 1, verses 10 through 12, which says, and it's quoting an Old Testament verse here. It says, in the beginning, the Lord, that's the Son, you founded the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like clothing, like a cloak, and you will roll them up, and like clothing they will be changed, but you remain the same, and your years never end. The false teachers taught that creation centered in emanations and emanations and emanations or just these things that radiated from the nature of God. They were fascinated with these angelic beings. They held those emanations to be angelic beings that came from God. But the apostle affirms to us here that all of creation is centered in one single solitary person, Christ Jesus the Lord. Both the plan to create and the power to create, they all reside in him. He is the originator. He is the architect. He is the builder. Creation was in him. It is in his domain. But not only were all things created by, uh, uh, all things created by Jesus Christ, but Paul goes on to tell us exactly what he means again. All the things that are in heaven and on the earth. Paul says that he is, and when he says this, he is talking directly about the earthly realm and the spiritual realm. One commentator said that Paul is emphasizing the fact that he is talking about everything. But Paul does not stop as he expands the imagery even further. He says things that are visible are invisible. See, Pastor Emilio said uh, last week that there is a reality behind the reality that we can't see. And all things on heaven and earth I can see. They are visible. But Paul had adds here all things that are invisible. Well, what things are invisible? Well, is, he has already told us in the chapter that God is invisible in verse 15. So is it so far-fetched to think that Paul is speaking about the angelic realm, that realm where only God and angels exist? No. Why? Because of what he says following this. He says, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, that phraseology is Jewish for angelic powers. And here it is used for ranking the angels. I don't know if it's ranking them from top to bottom or bottom to top or top, top to bottom or bottom to top. Um, it doesn't matter. I don't know what he's doing there. But Paul is speaking uh, directly to the false teaching that was creeping into the church. Whatever you want to name here, Jesus is on top of it. Whatever you want to stack up, whatever you want to pile up, whatever you want to heap upon heap upon heap, Christ is Lord over it all. He is called the creator of all things. See, everything in the universe, in the universe has been created through him. That is, through his agency, and more importantly, all things were created, understand this, for him. Do you understand what Paul has just said? I didn't. I was, as I was studying, that little phrase, for him, just kept going, look at me, John, look at me, John, look at me, John. All things were created for Jesus. What does that mean? Christ is now the goal of creation. He is speaking of Christ in an eschatological sense. This goes beyond the Old Testament. This goes beyond the New Testament. This is the teaching of Scripture. Christ Jesus is the beginning of the creation, and he is the end of it. He is the Alpha and the Omega of all things. As Jesus said in Revelations 22:13, I am the Alpha. I am the Omega. 
the beginning and the end. Ephesians 1, 9 through 10 says, He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed uh, in him with a view to the administration. I like that word because it's dispensation. Uh, suitable to the fullness of time. I'm just kidding. Um, that is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. Listen, it is in Christ that both the past and the present, creation and redemption are one. It is Christ that restores creation, and that means you, and that means me. It, it, everything that came after, everything that is now, and everything that will come, he, he is going to restore it to its intended state, and that is peace with God, true shalom. Do you understand that you were made for Jesus Christ? Let me say it another way. Do you, do you understand that you were not made for yourself? The Bible says, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. It also says in Romans, for not one of us lives for ourselves, and not one of us dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord, or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For this in Christ died and live again, that he might be Lord of both the living and the dead. The allegiance that you have goes either one of two ways. One of two ways. You are either Satan's slave bound in your sins, or you are free in Christ Jesus. As the Bible says in Romans, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who have died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us have, who have been baptized into Christ, that's placed in him, that we are saturated with Christ, have been baptized into his death? We have been transformed supernaturally by the spirit of the living God. We belong to Jesus because all things were created for him. But not only us, not only us here, we all profess to be believers, not only us, but unbelievers also. Proverbs 16, 4 says, the Lord has made everything. But then it adds, for his own purpose, even the wicked for the day of destruction. Everything is owned by Jesus Christ. Everything, absolutely everything, is under his care. As it said in that song that I, that's just been ringing through my head this week, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Let me say this to you, please. Let me, let me, let me say this. You know, you, you guys know that I'm, I'm dispensational. I have dispensational tendencies. I kind of lean that way, okay? And I know most of the elders and the deacons here, and most of you probably are not. But I want to say this, that if the path that this church is on, if the path that this church is walking down, and I believe that this path is correct, 
this theology, this, theo this theology that is Christ-centered, this ecclesiology that is Christ-empowered, this soteriology, uh, this doctrine of salvation that is soaked in Jesus Christ, this, this witnessing and this evangelism and all of the things that we do here, if it holds Christ up to the highest levels, if it makes Christ and it exalts him as king, as savior, as redeemer, and God, give me that. I want that. I don't want to lose my Savior in defining a system. I want to find Christ in the scriptures. The text goes on to say, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And in doing so, it adds additional, even more material to what has just been said about Christ. He is before all things can be understood as either before all things in time or before all things in position. And in light of what has been said about Christ in this, this portion of scripture, I don't think any, either one can be taken in an absolute sense. The verb here has a meaning in both senses. Christ's preexistence is spoken of. But at the same time, the focus is also on the supremacy of Christ. In addition to that, wherever a, a propanton uh, pro is used, it is a marker for rank and it is a marker for supremacy. You can see that by checking James 5.12 or uh, 1 Peter 4.8. As God, Christ is supreme over all creation. As man, Christ is the goal of all creation. And it all fits under the sovereignty of God. He is the one in whom all things hold together or consist. It is, it is Christ's cosmos-encompassing supremacy that undergirds all creation throughout all time. To God be the glory. So what are we to do with Jesus? What are we, what are we to do with this Christ? Are we to, as the, as the some, as, and I, I use this word advisedly, as the heretics do, are we to remove him from his throne? No. And guess what? We couldn't even if we tried. No, we are to focus on the Christ-centered nature of all reality. It is only God that could carry the sins of me and carry the sins of you and stay on that cross until every single sin was paid for. It only cost him everything that he had on an earthly level. Any creature would have failed. Any creature would have failed. Second, the whole message of the Bible is that only God could do this. And guess what? That's what this text has been telling us. That is who Jesus is. And finally, it is only one who is truly both God and man, who could be a mediator between God and man. Just as the scripture says in 1 Timothy 2.5, and has revealed God to us. No, brothers and sisters, we are not heretics. We are not Jehovah's Witnesses that de deny the divine nature of Christ. We are not New Agers. We're not Oprahites and deny the human nature of Christ. We are not Mormons that speak about the fact that there's more than one God. We hold to and we celebrate, paraphrasing John 1.18 again, the unique one, the God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart. Wayne Grudem said this, and I think it encapsulates this, this, uh, this, this section of, of, my, of my message so well. Uh, it is by far the most amazing miracle in the entire Bible. Now, now step outside of that for a second. You got creation. You got flood. 
You've got uh, angels slaying 186,000 men. You've got donkeys that speak. You've got uh, all of these things going on. And he says, this is the most amazing creation in the Bible. The fact that the infinite, omnipotent, eternal son of God could become a man and join himself to a human nature forever so that infinite God became one person with finite man will remain for eternity the most profound miracle and the most profound mystery in all the universe. What do you do with Christ? Christ is over all. See, I, I think as I, as I conclude here, I think we see that Christ plays a major role in our everyday walk with the Lord. Do we place Jesus in the highest places in our life, or is Jesus just another in a long line of failed, fraudulent, and false messiahs, false saviors? No, it's Christ who is over all. How do you combat the false teaching that went on in Colossae? How do you combat the false teaching that seeks to creep into this church? Exalt Christ. Recognize he is on the throne. If I can borrow some language from my, my past, from the National Baptist Convention, he still sits high and he still looks low. One man pointed out that the heresy in Colossae was all the more dangerous because while not denying Christ, it dethroned him. When faced with false teaching and outright heresy, Paul's reaction is not always to confront it head on. Sometimes you can't face a problem this way. Sometimes you got to go that way to get to your problem. He takes the route of lifting Jesus up. He didn't say, your theology is wrong, you pre-Gnostics, because of this, this, and this. He just exalted Christ. And he lifted him to a place where we can only see him if we are on our knees. It is our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who was the sovereign in salvation and who was sovereign in creation. And Lord willing, I'll get to return to you one of these days and tell you that he is the sovereign in the congregation. Give him the worship that he deserves. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for these people. Lord, I thank you for the message that you gave me. Lord, I thank you that our time here has been spent glorifying you. Lord, we just look forward to what you're going to do with us day in and day out, being transformed to be more like your son, Christ Jesus, in whom, in whom are all things found, all things in heaven and earth, all things visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, kingdoms, powers. Lord, all things have been created for him. All things have been created through him. All things have been created to him. Thank you, Lord. We ask that you would bless us in Jesus' name. Amen.